This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. The Power Play Post Show is on the air, covering minor league hockey since 2003, and now covering the Binghamton Black Bears, with news, reactions, and in-depth interviews only heard here. And now, from the Box Studios in Kirkwood, New York, here is your host of the Power Play Post Show, Bob Howard. And welcome everybody to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for December 14th, 2023. We're only 11 days away from Christmas. I wonder what you would like to see underneath the Christmas tree for your favorite FPHL hockey team. This is Season 13, Episode 10 of the Power Play Post Show. Episode number 395, only five away from the big four zero zero of the long-running Power Play Post Show. I am your host, Bob Howard. Thank you very much for joining me this week. This is a huge show. Uh, I'll be honest with you, we've got two very cool guests um, this week on the Power Play Post Show. There was something very important that needed to be talked about. I, I hope you guys... Do stay tuned and listen uh, to that segment. Um, And then we have a great player interview as well. But let's get started. Uh, The Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts and subscribe. Please join the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Power Play Post Show and share uh, with all of your friends. Check out uh, BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton hockey information and curiosity. And on this week's edition of the Power Play Post Show, Binghamton Black Bears forward Andrew Logar and from the Fed League Flash, Gary Ryan. Um, and again, I'm very excited for you guys to hear both of those interviews. Had a great time talking to both of those gentlemen. Gary, I talked to last night on Tuesday night about this uh, issue with the high hits and the retaliations and things of that nature. It's a great conversation. And I think that maybe all uh, players and coaches and general managers need to start having with players. It's probably not going to go away, but I still think that to garner a little bit more respect on the ice from player to player, this conversation needs to be had. And uh, we'll talk about deterrence and even about uh, suspensions and um, what's the best course of action for the thing uh, for the leagues to do? And this is not just a Fed League thing. This is um, really an all of hockey. Great interview with Gary. Uh, so definitely check that out. And of course, check out as well the interview with Andrew Logar, which will be shortly after my segment here. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about before we get into last week's games, an important note for Saturday's game coming up. Um, a really good listener, uh, a very strong supporter of not only the Black Bears, but of course the Power Play Post Show, uh, Casey Gorman, will be hosting a silent auction on Saturday night on the cor- on the concourse, which will be for some custom artwork she has painted, which are paintings of the Binghamton Black Bears. All proceeds are going to the players. So this is very, very important. I hope you guys go check this out. Uh, this is for a very good cause. It's for the players. Please check out her table at the Saturday game versus the Watertown Wolves this Saturday. And bid on one of these one-of-a-kind paintings. Uh, her table will be out front by the doors in front of the Binghamton Black Bears merchandise stand. So um, 
Some people you've probably already seen some of the, her paintings on the Facebook groups. Definitely check it out. There's also a link um, on the top of our Facebook group in the pin section, and you can uh, check out some of her work and go and please bid on these paintings. Uh, it's for a great cause. As most people know, the players do not get paid a lot to play in this league, and Casey's just doing her part to help out those players and everything. This is the type of thing that happens in all of the Fed cities. I think it happens in some of the SPHL cities where fans come together and they do special things to try to help out the players and whatnot. I know that the Black Bears have tried to organize things as well. So please check out those paintings. Bid if you can and uh, help out uh, Casey. She's she's a talented artist, and uh, I think this is a great thing. So please check that out. So Casey Gorman, Saturday night on the concourse, and uh, Casey, thank you very much for doing something like this. It's it's very cool. Um, okay, so this past week, uh, two games um, against the Carolina Thunderbirds, a trip down to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And this was the tale of two different games, a 2-1 to one win on Friday night and an 8-3 loss on Saturday. Only the second regulation loss for the Binghamton Black Bears, but it did lead to a Gavin Yeats Suspensions. His second of the season. Um, he's now been suspended for three games. He uh, had to serve a one-game suspension, and now he's serving a two-game suspension. So he'll miss both of the games coming up this weekend. And the team itself had 81 penalty minutes in this in that second game. So let's talk about um, these games and break it down. The first game was a really good game. Let's let's be honest. Uh, you know the the Black Bears came in on Thursday, spent the night, uh, practiced uh, in the morning in Carolina in in the Winston Salem Annex, and uh, you know I think they came out, and I was worried about this game. This is the game that I thought, well, you know, if there's going to be a game they're going to lose this weekend, it was that one. And then the complete opposite happened. But of course, that's just the way it is, right? Uh, in the game, only Tyson Kirkby and Nikita Ivashkin scored for the Black Bears, and Dawson Baker was the only one to scored for the Carolina Thunderbirds. Now, the nice thing is in this game. The two Black Bears goals were power play goals. So that's important, right? You know, so if you're going to get up on the man advantage and you want to capitalize, you, you want to do that, especially when there's um, only two goals, three goals in the game completely, and you guys score two of them. You know, this was a well played game by both teams. I thought it was a defensive battle. I thought there were some good chances on both sides. I thought both goaltenders played. Uh, pretty well, Connor Manama, and of course um, Mario Cavallari. Um, they both goaltenders played well. Um, Mario Super Mario only had to save uh, he saved twenty four of twenty six shots, and Connor Manama he saved thirty nine of forty. I said right from the beginning he was the number one star of the game. Uh, in my opinion, uh, that's how I would have voted it. But, of course, uh, he, he got third star of the game. Tyson Kirkby got first star of the game. And then uh, Dawson Baker got the second star of the game. Good game. Not much to talk about. There were 2,500 people there in Carolina. And it was a pretty fun game to watch, right? A nice 2-1 to one defensive battle. We don't get to see those that often, right? Especially not here down in the Fed. I thought it was a pretty good game. I, I really thought that both teams played really well. And then came 
the second game. Now, we talked to Andrew Logar about this game a little bit in the interview, so you'll, you'll get to hear his thoughts on this game itself. Um, just, um, I got to be honest, uh, Binghamton didn't play well. They, they didn't start off well. They didn't end well. There were some moments in the game where things, um, you know, and Andrew Logar will, will, will bring up, and I'll let him explain it, but there's a reason why Matthew Ballard was really pissed off in this game in the second period. Um, and I don't know even know if he was really totally pissed off at a Carolina player, but probably because of a really bad missed call, a high stick to the face. Um, but in this game, in the first 10 minutes and 30 seconds, this has not happened to the Black Bears this season, they give up four goals. Three, uh, five on five, and then a power play goal at the 10-30 mark, right? So they're already down four to nothing. Yeah, you had uh, the captain, um, uh, John Petita, um, Joe Kennedy, Nate Keeley, and uh, 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 Petrie uh, Manichek score all in the first 10 minutes and 30 seconds. So you think right there, there is a possibility that this game is going to go two ways. Either the Black Bears could implode or they could battle back like champions do. And they sort of started to do that in the first period. They started to battle back. They got a power play goal from Jesse Anderson, his first goal of the season. And then Gavin Yates scores at the 15-16 mark. And right now it's 4-2. to two. You think, okay, you got a chance. Uh, second period uh, starts, and they actually are on the power play. The Black Bears are on the power play. Four shots on goal go to the Carolina, Pan- uh, Carolina uh, Thunderbirds, and only one goal or one shot on goal for the Binghamton Black Bears in that first two minutes when they were on the power play. So that didn't go well. And then just a few minutes later, Carolina is back on the power play. John Salak, Jan Salak, scores a goal, power play goal. 20 seconds later, Joe Kennedy scores a goal. And then literally 10 seconds later, Gus Ford scores a goal. This game's over with. You know, Black Bears kind of imploded, and in 30 seconds, they gave up three goals. That's something that hasn't happened in franchise history. Three goals that quickly. Uh, Nikita Ivashkin got his second goal of the weekend by scoring in the 558 mark of the third period. And to end the game at the 1944 mark, Jan Slock scored his second goal of the game. And this just got ugly in two different – well, there, there was two points. At uh, the 12.05 mark, uh, Matthew Ballard, uh, he got a roughing call. And then he got a uh, a minor call for unsportsmanlike conduct. And then he got a 10-minute misconduct. And then he got a 10-minute game misconduct for abusive officials. So he just kind of like – he was done at that point. He was done playing hockey. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that and everything. But – that's the way this game went. And then later on in the third period, it got a little ugly. Gavin Yates uh, might have been punching a couple uh, a player, uh, Panacek, while he was down on the ice. And the ref- the linesman was on top of him. Um, Andrew Logar got kicked out of the game with 16 seconds left to go. He'll tell you his words. Uh, he was looking for a fight. He really was at that point. Uh, so frustration, 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 frustration. But here's the thing. You got to forget about that game. You got to learn from the game, and then you got to move on. And that's what the Black Bears are going to do. Um, another g- good turnout there in Winston Salem. They got three thousand ninety-five fans, and um, you know they they split. But I look at it this way: Black Bears won two games in regulation, lost a game in the shootout, and lost a game in regulation to them. So 
pretty even four-game series between these two teams, uh, two in Binghamton and two in Winston-Salem. So not too bad there. All right, so let's get, move on. This weekend, Friday night, versus the Danbury Hattricks. This is the seventh game of 18 regular season uh, games in the series. Binghamton has won five straight against the Hattricks. They are 3-0 and versus Danbury at the Broome County, well, sorry, the Vision Veterans Memorial Arena. And Danbury is led by Johnny Ruiz, um, who has eight goals, 11 assists for 19 points. That will be Friday night. We've already seen them plenty of times. We all know that they're beatable this year. There's really not much to see. Daniel Amsbury will not be in the game. He is obviously working through his uh, suspension, his lengthy suspension. Um, then on Saturday, starts a three-game series at home versus the Watertown Wolves. Binghamton has won two out of three versus the Wolves this season and lost the meeting on 11-18, Watertown is led by Trevor Lord, who has 11 goals, 15 assists for 26 points. After the Saturday game, the teams will meet again in Binghamton again next weekend on Friday and Saturday. So they have three games in a row, Saturday, Friday, and Saturday against the Watertown Wolves. So we'll see how they do there. Sometimes those type of series or those types of you know playing against the same team over and over, and over again uh, results into some interesting play. We'll see if that actually happens. Um, the last thing I want to bring up is the Gavin Yates in, um, interference penalty at the 527 mark of the second period leads to a one-game suspension, which is absolutely the wrong one that I just put in here. Um, yep, so he, that that's not correct. He did not get an interference penalty. That was the week before, which led to the suspension. The, the suspension was actually because of what happened in the Carolina game. But anyway, uh, Binghamton uh, forward Gavin Yates has been suspended for two games as a result of his actions during the FPHL game number 84 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina on Saturday, December 9th. FPHL Director of Player Safety Dave Jackson stated, what happened during this altercation is not something that is acceptable behavior in the FPHL. Mr. Yates was involved in an altercation with an opponent when the linesman intervened and broke it up, his opponent was completely immobilized, lying face down on the ice with a linesman on top of him. When he broke away from the other linesman and circled back around his opponent, and he delivered a forceful punch to the opponent's face head while he lay on the ice, utterly defenseless. This is an example of blatant disregard for player safety and well-being and the well-being of his opponent. This action should not have should have deemed a match penalty for attempt to injure Mr. Yates will be suspended for two games under the supplementary discipline. Totally agree with this. I don't think you can argue against this. I think almost every Binghamton fan that I saw, the comment that they made was probably not the right thing to do. And this um warranted a suspension. And um so it's just the way it is. So he'll miss against Watertown, he'll miss against Danbury on Friday, and then hopefully we'll be back, obviously, the week after. Now, Gavin Yates is an important part of this team. I want to say this. It's very important to 
understand that Gavin Yates is a leader on this team. He's been in the league for a long time. In certain actions like this, he probably doesn't want the rest of the team to kind of see or even emulate. Uh, I understand the frustrations were high, and uh, you know they were getting beat, and they haven't been beaten like this pretty much all season. Even the five-one win a loss against Watertown a few weeks ago really wasn't as bad of a game as this one is here. So I'm sure Gavin is ready to just you know get back to the team uh, next week when they play Watertown two times and everything. So let's just move on from there. So coming up next here on the Power Play Post Show is going to be the Binghamton Black Bears forward. He is, of course, Andrew Logar. And we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Here is another Power Play Post Show interview exclusive with Bob Howard. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Uh, Very excited to have this gentleman on with me. He comes to us from the Binghamton Black Bears. He is one of their forwards. And just very excited for you guys to hear from him. He is Andrew Logar. Andrew, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. And uh, so far, you guys have had a great start to the season. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been doing good so far. Uh, about 15 games in, and uh, we're rolling pretty good. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can keep that going up through the the rest of the season. Andrew, as we were talking off air and everything, uh, we were talking about where you're from. You're actually from Niagara Falls, the the American side, the little boring side of Niagara Falls, but you are from Niagara Falls and everything. can you talk to me a little bit about hockey up there, especially as a youth? Because, I mean, you, of course, you got the Buffalo Sabres just to the south of you guys. you got the Rochester Americans just down Interstate 90 just a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of junior hockey. And, of course, you go over into the Canadian side, and there's a lot of junior hockey over there. What was it like growing up uh, in Niagara Falls, especially as, a, as, an, as an athlete um, and, you know, getting into hockey? Yeah, it was awesome. I um, I grew up playing for my hometown uh, team about five minutes down the road, Niagara Junior Purple Eagles. Um, you know, we were just a double-A team. My dad, you know, coached, and I was just playing to have fun, basically. Um, but, you know, there's really good hockey out there, a ton of teams, double-A, triple-A. Um, you know, if you want to play hockey, you can find a place to play or to train, anything like that. Um, but, yeah, there's some good organizations. The Buffalo Junior Sabres are a pretty big name down there, and they'll uh, they'll get guys sent up uh, to college and even the professional level. Now, you said that um, – I believe you said you had a brother that also played hockey as well, right? Yeah, my older brother, he played uh, – same thing as me. We both played at Niagara growing up. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of battles for sure in the driveway and stuff like that growing up. But, <laughs> yeah, it was good to have an older brother there to always compete with. And your dad was a coach, correct? Yeah, yeah, my dad coached both of us growing up. And, and was that easy, hard? I mean, what's that like having your dad coaching you? Uh, I mean, I I didn't, you know, I, I liked it. Um, it. It was nice. He was always on top of everything, you know, practices, games were always there on time and stuff like that. So I never, 
I never missed nothing. Um, he definitely set me up right, got me out in a bunch of camps. He always has the inside scoop of, you know, any training or anything going on like that. Um, but, yeah, it was good. It was nice having him growing up as a coach. Um, now he's just kind of a fan more so than a coach. Uh, mm-hmm. He just lets me do my thing and, and just enjoys watching me play at this point. What was his background? What got him into coaching? Was it because his boys were playing, or did he have a, a, a playing background as well? No, he never really played. I mean, he played some floor hockey with his buddies, I think, on the weekends, but that was about it. I mean, he just loved being involved in stuff, so he, uh, yeah, he decided to coach us, and he was on the board at uh, Niagara and all that, so he was very involved. He just enjoyed doing it, and uh, yeah, a lot of fun growing up. Is it safe to say that that you know your your household was a Buffalo Sabers uh, fan group, or or was there other teams that you know kind of crept in for fans in your household? No, always Buffalo Sabers, ride or die. It's uh, it, it's been tough, but yeah, always Buffalo Sabers fan. Now, did you play any other sports when you were uh, a young athlete? Yeah, the only other sport I played was baseball, and uh, I kind of gave that up at about 16 and just focused on hockey. But uh, I definitely think baseball helped me out. I mean, there's, you know, hand-eye, just patience. It's a totally different sport, but, uh, you know, just being on another team in the summer, it definitely helped with hockey for sure. So. Now, now, what position did you play in uh, in hockey or in, in baseball uh, back then? Uh, towards the end of my career, I was basically just second baseman, but growing up, uh, they just throw me wherever they needed me. I, I caught, I played first base, second, short, you know, whatever they needed me to. I can never really get the pitching down. I was never a good pitcher, so I stayed away from the mound, but anywhere else, uh, they'd throw me. Now, you played uh, Tier 3 hockey for Lockport and uh, for Niagara Falls, the, the Powerhawks and everything. You were actually the captain that year. Uh, talk about your junior hockey reign. Uh, what did you learn about yourself as a player playing that level of junior hockey? Uh, I just, you know, I, I learned how to work hard. I learned how to um, just always bring it every day. It's It's kind of a lot like here. We played like 50-something games, so... You're battling every day. You got to take care of your body, um, you know. And I, I played for a good coach. They had confidence in me to just be the player that you know I wanted to be. I want to go out there, um, you know, score goals, try to get in people's heads, you know, whatever, whatever I, I had to do to help the team win, I, I would do it. And um, you know, it taught me a lot too of uh, kind of the business side of, of hockey. Is the first time that you know I've really gotten scratched or. I just wasn't playing as much, so mm-hmm. it uh, it definitely helped me out. Um, you know, it wasn't always easy, but in the long run, you know, I learned a lot, and, and it helped me out get to where I am today. Now, I've seen a couple viral videos from Tier 3, and, you know, sometimes it can get a little... I don't know, kind of crazy a little bit. You don't expect that from junior hockey and everything. Like, what was it? What was it like? Was there? I mean, because there were some. There's some skilled players that come out of, uh, you know, the N3HL, and uh, it, without a doubt, there is definitely some skilled players that have come out and played, you know, uh, D1 hockey and even go in and, and play deep in the, the the pro ranks and everything. So, was it was it a lot about skill? But is there still a lot of feistiness in that hockey as well? Oh yeah, I, it's it's. I always say this. It's very similar to the FPHL. I mean, mm. 
you got some good skill guys, but you also got some tough guys that are out there for, you know, maybe not necessarily to score goals. They're out right. there to protect their team and, uh, you know, just whatever they got to do. So, yeah, you definitely see some videos, but the same way you see some videos of the FPHL, um, <laughs> I mean, it's like you, if, if you want to get in the mix like that, you can definitely find somebody, but you, you can also stay out of it. When people know you're a skill guy, they, uh, you know, they, they stay away from you. They let you play your game. They play theirs, and it's just all about what you make of it, really. Yeah, well, I say that because that, that final year that you were with Niagara Falls, I mean, you had 138 penalty minutes. I mean, i got to imagine either it was a really bad game one game and you racked up a few, or consistently over the the uh, the season there was a lot of feistiness and you were, you know, getting into it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of feistiness. I mean, it's, you play <laughs> the same team like 10 times a year. You start to know people, you know, it's, yeah, you take some penalties, you get in some fights. Uh, I mean, the penalty minutes don't really always tell all too, just because no. the way that they did it, they you get a lot of 10 minutes just for saying something, or you get kicked out of the game, they give you like 20 minutes, penalty minutes for it, so... Well, the, uh, but that, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of chippiness in that. Well, league. that certainly feels like the federal hockey league, especially <laughs> last year. They seem to just be throwing out the 10 minute misconducts and game misconducts all the time. It, it seemed to be a little bit better uh, this year. We'll talk about the Carolina game in just a few minutes and everything. Cause I know that was one where it kind of got a little crazy in the third period and everything. Uh, so Buffalo State, uh, how did you get there? Obviously, it's close by. You and I talked, and it seemed like you really liked to stay close to home uh, when it when it came to junior hockey and, of course, playing in college. But how'd you get to Buffalo State? Yeah, my junior coach, uh, Jason Hill, a uh, great guy. He he played at Buffalo State. Um, you know, he kind of took me under his wing and, and helped me out get there. He got in contact with the coach, helped me get a tour there and all that. Um so he, he definitely played a huge role in getting me there. Um, but I also, you know, talked to the coach, toured the campus. And, yeah, I wanted to stay close to home. But also just growing up, I mean, I've heard about Buff State, you know, D3. It's I grew up in Niagara. Obviously, Niagara, Canisius, D1 teams there. And then Buff State's kind of third in line in Buffalo. But, um, yeah, you grow up. It's one of those teams that you, you, you want to play for if you're from Buffalo. It's just it made, it made sense for me to stay there and, and play in Buffalo, and uh, I'm really happy I did. What was the difference between going from junior hockey up to D3 hockey? Uh, yeah, there's a big difference. Um, junior, just everything. I mean, junior hockey, it's, it's like everybody on Buff State was the guy on their team in junior hockey, and then, mm. you know, you get recruited, and uh, you might not be the leading goal scorer on the team anymore, so... You kind of have to adapt, and you got to find uh, find your role on the team, and you also got to be a good teammate. Um, you know, you got to be a good locker room guy because you're you're living with these guys, you're you're seeing them every single day, and on top of that, too, you only play like 25 games a year, so uh, you have to bring it in practice just to earn your spot in the lineup, and um, you know, you got to bring it every single game because every game matters just that much more when you're only playing 25 games, and I think there's only like maybe 20 of them that are like conference games that, that really matter for right. your playoffs and standings and stuff. So uh, it's it's really important to bring your A game every single day when, when you're in E3. And you had to change your game just a little bit too because, of course, you know, you you, you can't drop the gloves. You, you There's a little bit less physicalness in 
you know, um, in there. Now, you could still be physical, hit on the boards and all that type of stuff, uh, but there's no drop in the gloves in, in college hockey, so you had to change your game just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no fighting, and there's uh, a lot bigger guys out there, and me being a small guy, you know, you just the only way to protect yourself is just to keep your head up and try not to get blown up. So, um, yeah, there's there's no fighting. You you just you got to be careful out there, but you also got to play your game. You can't be worrying about it on the ice. Uh, you know, being afraid out there, you got to just play hard and uh, yeah, give it your all and try to put those pucks in one way or another. Now you played, obviously, you know, you were there for five years. You've got a couple degrees you were telling me about. I mean, you're pretty much set after your, your Fed career and everything. But in that 2020-21 season where you guys basically said, oh, we're not playing because of COVID and everything, you really worked hard um, and thought about, I think, the future for yourself and everything. Can you talk about what it was like to kind of take that break you know, not just for yourself, but even for your teammates, because it kind of, you know the world kind of changed just a little bit, and you kind of had to think ahead um, and everything. And then you guys came back and played a, a couple seasons before you were done. But you know, the five years there, I think that middle year probably taught you a lot, just because you guys weren't playing and you had to concentrate on studies. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That uh, threw a curveball to everybody. Um, that year that we didn't play you know we went back to school they got us back on campus we were practicing for about a month and then Mm -hmm. just one day they called us up and said yeah season's canceled nothing we can do um you know stay inside basically and yeah for me i i i I didn't know what was next for me at that time so i figured like hey let me try to get another degree here um you know i was going for a computer science degree at the time mm-hmm. and then when covid hit i had a bunch of credits kind of left over uh from one way or another so i decided to pick up an economics degree um which was really good just to kind of you know stay in school play hockey like i said i wasn't sure what i was going to do next so at that point my mindset was okay how do i get in how do i get another year of playing hockey right i just missed out on this one um, i'm watching some of my buddies whose careers just ended out of nowhere you know they were seniors they don't get another shot and yeah, yeah. i basically just said like yeah i i committed four years here i want to play four years and um i i just kind of took some more classes um to be able to do that and Eventually, my last year, the the school offered a one-year business master's program. So I took that and was able to play, you know, all four years, and it all worked out. You know, I never would have thought that that would have happened, but um, I'm – glad that you know everything ended up working out good for me yeah no to me it sounds like you made a smart decision and you're going to be set so when when your pro career is done you you have something to go back on not every guy has that which is uh, obviously uh, kudos to you how did you i mean what was the conversation to get you to come to binghamton obviously you played eight games uh last year in the regular season three games in the playoffs but was there a phone call from Coach Sherwood? How did you get involved with uh, Binghamton last year? Uh, yeah, my season ended. So at Ball State, we ended up losing in the semis of the uh, SUNYAC finals. So we lost to Oswego. And uh, I just reached out to Coach Sherwood. I mean, I saw some videos online mm-hmm. of Binghamton and the Fed and 
I just wanted to keep playing. And um, after looking into Binghamton, I saw that these guys were, you know, legit players. Sherwood, after I talked to him, I, I knew he was uh, a great coach to play for. And I just wanted to keep playing. I wanted to try to win a championship. And obviously we fell short last year. And, you know, that's kind of why I'm back here. I'm, I've got the same goal in mind. I want to win a championship. And, uh, yeah, it's that's what I'm hoping to do. Now, uh, Scherzi obviously has a, a, a love for the Suniac of players and everything. He, he he loves those guys. He has those guys sprinkled throughout uh, this whole team and everything. Um, was it an easy fit for you to come in, meet him, talk with him, work with him? Yeah, yeah, it was a real good fit. Um, he's a great coach to play for, a uh, real good players coach. You know, he... He can kind of see your skills, and he'll put you in the spot to succeed with your skills. Um, and and that's what I like about him. You know, he lets me go out there and play my game. And overall, you know, he sees what I can do, and he puts me in the spot where he thinks I can do the most damage. And, you know, that's it's kind of like what we were saying back uh, a little bit before this. You know, my role at Buff State might have been third line PK guy, something like that, and yep. I come here. It's it's just different. We only play three lines, and we also got a couple guys who've been playing here already. You know, they're they're known to score goals. They're, um, you know, we brought in Stanko and Smitty, who just came in right away, who were on fire, and it's just there's just not that many uh, lineup spots, right? So for me to come in, even though if I think I can be a guy who can put up points that might not necessarily be my job. So, um, yeah, so far it's been great. Um, I've been kind of on that third line, but um, truthfully I think we're one of the best third lines in this league. And uh, I think on any other team, uh, you know, all three or four of us that are on that line could, could go play on any other team and be at least top two. Yeah, you're, you're, talking, you're talking about uh, Fletcher, you're talking about Ray, and you're talking about Samaro. And yep, the yep. four of you guys have really kind of mixed in. Now, you've actually seen time, obviously, up on the other lines as well, um, whether it be, you know, Smitty being out or, um, you know, one of the other guys being out. And you've, you've, you've actually been incorporating yourself. It's kind of like a utility player, right? And mm-hmm. almost every single team, whether it be baseball or hockey, really kind of needs one of those guys that can do that. And you kind of pride yourself on that, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's uh Whatever the team needs, uh, I think I can do it. And, um, you know, if, if there's guys that can score goals better than me and, and they're in the lineup, then, you know, so be it. You know, you don't need 12 guys trying to score goals all the time. But at the same time, if there's a guy that's hurt or a guy that's missing the game and they want me to step up and hop on in power play and, you know, be more offensive, then that's, that's obviously something that I'd love to do too, you know. So, yeah, like you said, utility guy. Whatever they need me to do, uh, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. What I like is, is when I see uh, you, Fletcher, and Ray on the same line, what's interesting about that, Ray's probably the smallest guy. I mean, you talk about you being small. Ray's probably the smallest guy on this team. He's from Florida. Probably people look at him and go, oh, he's from Florida? Oh, my God, I'm going to be able to kill him. And he's just such a great little player and everything. Feisty, he can hit, he doesn't take crap from people, and he can score goals. Then you have Fletcher, who is kind of like that medium-sized guy who can you know, uh, win face-offs, center uh, the two of you guys, and you provide a little bit of grit, a little bit of a scoring touch. It's one of those things where it's kind of like you said, probably one of the better put-together third lines in the Fed. Yeah, 
Yeah, you're 100% right. All of us have our strengths and, and weaknesses, and together I think it all evens out, especially if you're talking about a third line in this league. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's one of the best combinations we can have. Okay, so obviously the season's been going really well for the Binghamton Black Bears. Um, 12 wins on the season, I think two regulation losses, a few losses in the uh, overtime periods. You know, let's talk a little bit about this weekend, though, this past weekend, because it was a tale of two games, realistically. It was a very defensive, really well-played game on Friday night by both teams, and I think either team could have won that game. And then we see... Boom. On, on on Saturday, probably one of the rare misses for the Binghamton Black Bears this year. Talk a little bit about the the first game against Carolina on Friday night where it's a 2-1 win for you guys and just a well-played – and I've said this all season long – that this team has played better team defense than I've seen in the previous couple years and everything. Talk a little bit about Friday night. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. Friday night was definitely a defensive battle. Uh, it just kind of works out that way sometimes. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We Pucks just weren't going our way into the net but they uh, for us, but they also weren't going against us into the net. And, uh, yeah, throughout the game, the more we realized, I guess, it's going to be a tight game all the way down the stretch. We all kind of um, buckled in for, you know, a good defensive battle and, sold out when we needed to and uh yeah ultimately got that 2-1 win which was um huge for the first game on the road now you guys don't usually see 2-1 games you know especially in the fed you just don't see it um much at all and everything um what was the feeling in the locker room afterwards because i gotta imagine when it's that close that tight and it's a defensive battle and you know and uh, nikita gets that that goal that power play goal late in the third period for you guys to get that win i gotta imagine Pretty pretty nice feeling in the locker room afterwards? Yeah, yeah, no, it was a good feeling, but uh, it's kind of funny because after that game in the locker room, like, we we weren't even really celebrating too hard at all. You really? just looked around the locker room and everybody just, you could tell everybody gave it their all. We all just sat there for, like, a good five minutes in our full gear, like, just trying to recruit of, you know, what happened because it was a tough game, you know. I mean, it's a defensive game. Everybody's selling out, taking hits, blocking shots, so... Uh, you know, we were all pretty worn down after that game, but yeah, it feels good whenever you get a win. So, Andrew, for the fans who who haven't seen a lot of the you know the the losses this year, because you guys just haven't had that many, um, you've only had two in regulation, and so everything else has been at least getting some sort of points and everything. What do you think went wrong in – well, let, let's put it this way. What did you guys talk about in practices this week so far about – the Saturday night game because I've said multiple times that you know when you have a bad game like that the, the best thing you could ever do is have a game the next night right because it's a quick you got to forget about it and you got to move on but at the same time there are things you could probably learn from that game what did you guys talk about this week uh you know about that Saturday game yeah I, I think it just comes down to being ready from you know the drop of the puck um it's not that we took them lightly the second game, but, you know, like I said, we were all worn down, and uh, we thought maybe it'd be, in my opinion, maybe some guys thought it'd be a little slower-paced game after kind of how hard we played them, you know, the night before. And um, they came out, and they got two quick ones, I think. And yeah. whenever you go down quick like that, it's tough because, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, okay, we got to 
get some goals to, you know, get back in this game. But at the same time, you can't let up two more goals like we did. And then once it gets to 4 nothing, then you're really fighting an uphill battle. And it just makes everything more tough because, yeah, I mean, we scored two goals the night before, and now we're down 4 nothing, And we got to try to score at least four in the next 40 minutes. So, um, yeah, just we put ourselves in a tough spot. And, you know, going forward, we just have to realize, like, you got to bring it every single night, no matter what, um, especially against a good team like that, especially in their home barn. You know, when they just lost the night before, you got to know that they're going to be coming out hard and, and hungry to get a win that night. You know, I, I said in my, you know, after the, you know, the day after game report that I, that I usually do and everything, I said, Carolina did something to Binghamton that no team has done this year and really didn't do much last year either. And that was... Scoring four in the first period as quickly as they did, and then scoring the three in the second period within 30 seconds. It's just not been done. I got to imagine that by the end of that game, you guys were just mentally like, okay, you know, this is just one of those games where we just have to chalk it up, it happened, and then move on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's all it is. And uh, yeah, the nice part is, is it's just one game, and uh, we got a bunch more. So, Losses are going to happen, and you know what? It's almost like if we're going to lose, we might as well get all the bad plays out in one game and yeah. <laughs> just recoup and be ready for this weekend here. But, uh, I mean, that's a tough road trip, though, going down to Carolina. It's a long trip on the bus. Yep. We're staying in a hotel. And um, for us to come out of there with one win, I think, is is a pretty good success going up against that team. Yeah, now, of course, uh, in the third period, it kind of got a little crazy. Uh, you know, uh, Samaro uh, got in a fight with uh, Joseph Kennedy. Uh, you got a roughing minor and everything. Um, just, you know, the, the kind of the breakdown that happened, I, I, I know at one point uh, Gavin Yates, uh, you know, got what he got, which then turned into a two-game suspension. So that's not good. Um, when, when it kind of gets crazy at the end of the game like that, how can you guys sometimes, you know, get into your own heads like, whoa, we got to pull back here a little bit because we don't want to lose a player for a couple games? Yeah. Yeah, that's where you kind of have to draw that line of um, obviously you got to fight back. And um, it's tough, too, with that team because we don't play them again in the regular yeah. season. You know, if we do play them again, it'll be in the championship. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff happened that you might not have noticed. Um, just watching it on YouTube or whatever. Sure. Um, you know, Matt, Matthew, um, when he got kicked off, he got a stick to the mouth, chipped a couple teeth. So it's just like, you know, you, you kind of want to police the game and you want to, you know, fight back and, and get a guy who got one of your buddies. But at the same time, you, you do have to be smart because ultimately we're only hurting ourselves if we take suspension. So, uh, yeah, there is a fine line of trying to get back, get a team, um, you know, and try to police the game yourselves. But at the same time, we, we do have to realize that, you know, we're not going to see this team again. So um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't doesn't really affect us too much um, going forward with this team specifically. But yeah. it only hurts us going forward when we're, when we're playing next weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, of course, I, I have to ask because I don't usually have somebody on the show uh, the, you know, the, the maybe a few days after this happened. But in 1944, you get an unsportsmanlike conduct for 10 minutes. What did, did you say something? Did you did you drop the, the special magic word you're not supposed to drop? Is that really what happened? <laughs> no, I didn't say nothing. I think they just knew I was trying to find a fight. Honestly. <laughs> and, 
I, I think they just wanted me to get out of there. So it's all good. Yeah. So when you grab somebody and you're like, well, I'm going to go. And the linesman's like, yeah, I don't think so. Or the referee's like, no, nah, I don't think so. You're getting a 10 minute and you're, you're out of there. Well, that's good. That's good. That's, I, I, I always find it funny because every once in a while you, you, you hear from a guy who's like, yeah, I, I, I dropped the word that I'm not supposed to drop, and <laughs> and, and no. that's the reason why. But, you, I mean, again, it's all about frustration. Now, okay, so coming into this weekend, you guys are going against Danbury on Friday night. Now, Danbury, on, Danbury you guys have beaten five out of six times this year, and uh, I believe gotten points in every single game. Um, how do you go – now, of course, you guys play these guys 18 times this year. You're going to be sick of them by the end of uh, of the season for sure, if you're not already sick of, of Dan Barry and whatnot. How do you go into Friday night's game ready and just excited and just you know willing to do anything to get the win? Because if you guys win, that will be six in a row against Dan Barry. And I can tell you right now, in the three years, Binghamton has not done that against Dan Barry. Yeah, you have to be ready. It's the same thing against Carolina. We we got to be ready. We got to know that they're going to be bringing our A game exactly for that because they don't want to lose six times in a row or or whatever it is. You know, we got to get up. We got to know that they're coming. Um, yeah, we're you know probably sick of them, but I'm sure they're way more sick of us. So um, yeah, it'll it'll be a battle. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I I'll play those guys 18 times, whatever, however many times they want. Let's do it. Now, Andrew, uh, Amesbury will not be in this game. He was suspended, obviously, for a a hit that he uh, uh, laid uh, a couple weeks ago and everything. When he's not in the game, does the game change a little bit for you guys? Um, I mean, we try not to worry about it too much. Obviously, you know, yeah, he's a tough guy. I mean, you got to keep your head up. You you not really a guy you want to fight obviously but um at the same time it's i think it's good what they're doing they're trying to get you know just getting the just all all the uh the dirty plays out of the game you know if you want to fight you can fight it's fine but um you got to get the dirty plays out of the game and uh yeah no matter how tough you are if you um are causing your team penalties you're you're not going to be in the lineup and you know you're only hurting your team so um, yeah, whatever happened happened with him. You know, we try not to play different when he's in the lineup. It it really doesn't affect us. You can stay away from him. You know, it's not really too big of a deal to us. Andrew, let me ask you this question. I know you you've only been in the the pro ranks for a very short period of time, but let me let me ask you this really kind of an important question. And everything you fought a little bit in juniors uh, didn't have to do that, obviously in college hockey, but college hockey can sometimes have dirty hits because there is no fighting and the deterrence might not be there. As some people say, uh, a fighter might deter people from doing that and everything. We're going to have a conversation a little bit later on in this podcast, uh, myself and somebody else who covers the league and everything, about deterrence of those dirty type of hits. We've seen that. We just saw it happen with uh, the Detroit Red Wings game, you know, where there was kind of like a retaliation, and that retaliation ended up into a guy being suspended for four games. So on and so so forth and everything. Your, you know, just to get your opinion, you don't have to go too far. I don't want you to get in trouble with the league or another player or anything like that. But is the best deterrence for these dirty hits suspensions versus maybe a tough guy on the ice protecting the other players? Uh, yeah, there's there's uh, there's a time and place for everything. Sure. Um, there's you know you know us players on the ice we play against these same teams like what at least 10 times a year so 
everybody knows who the fighters are. Everybody knows who the guys who are just trying to stir up the pot a little bit. Everybody knows who the skilled guys are. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just important to recognize, like, you know, if there's two guys who want to fight, by all means, go out and fight. But if there's a guy who doesn't want to fight, you know, they, they shouldn't have to fight if, you know, they haven't done anything bad now. But at the same time, there is that kind of self-policing in hockey where if someone lays a dirty hit on somebody else, you know, it's like, yeah, you might have to fight them. It's, it's just part of the game. And I, I think there is a place in the game for fighting. I, I don't think they they ever should take it out. But at the same time, there's, there's guys that, you know, just shouldn't be fighting on a regular basis. But, I mean, everybody gets in fights. You know, you look at Sidney Crosby, he gets mm-hmm. in fights sometimes. There's... There's a time and place for it, and I think the majority of hockey players will, will agree with that. And, and do you think that suspensions are important for the dirty hits then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, you have to you got to keep account count on uh, dirty hits because, yeah, I mean, it's just you, you can't do whatever you want out there. You can't be hurting people. Uh, we're all trying to, you know, wake up the next day and, yeah. and play the sport um you know at the end of the day we're all we're all hockey players we're all in the same boat so yeah you definitely there's there's a there's a place for suspensions and dirty hits and uh yeah i i i think they're they're doing a good job at it so far all right before i let you go are you the only buffalo sabers fan on the team be honest uh I'm not sure. I mean, I know Sher was a Sabres fan, so well, yeah, uh, he's yeah, the coach. He's know. the coach I'm now. Excited. We 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 won't count him. I'm just kind of curious if there's a, a another player that is a uh, Sabres fan. So apparently, you haven't talked to any of the other players about your Sabres, then. <laughs> no, I mean, I I know who guy. I know the guys who are not Sabres fans, and those are the guys that I live with. So I, I don't know if there's too many Sabres fans. I know there's a couple Bills fans, which uh, oh, okay, which cool. I'm maybe a little bit more excited about. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, the Bills the last couple of years have been good, uh, you know, with Josh Allen and everything uh, that's been happening up there. And uh, so, Andrew, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and to get to talk to you. And uh, good luck this weekend uh, against the uh, Hattricks and, of course, the Wolves on Saturday night. And uh, um, have a good time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Hi, this is Brandon Bochinski. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Here is another Power Play Post Show interview exclusive with Bob Howard. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. As promised, as we talked about on all the Facebook groups out there, we're going to have a serious conversation. And uh, the only person I thought to bring in to talk about some of the things that have been going on, not just in the FPHL, but also in the uh, NHL and all across hockey right now, especially in North America, uh, I thought, I was like, listen, i got to bring in Gary Ryan. So Gary Ryan from the Fed League Flash is here. Gary, welcome back to the show. It's great to talk to you again. And I'm kind of glad that you were able to you know, make some time to come back on so we could talk about a serious issue with you know, hits and all the things that have been going on with retaliation, deterrence, and maybe even suspensions. Thank you very much for coming back onto the Power Play Post Show. 
Well, it, it's it's an honor and a thrill, and uh, happy holidays to you and to all the listeners. Oh, absolutely. And uh, um, so let's talk about a couple things first that are kind of like good for the FPHL, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. they're, they're very good and everything. One of the things is if you just look at the standings today, Gary, and you just look at the standings today versus the last couple years, you know, we had some poor performing teams in the standings the last couple years. Um, Elmira struggled to get some wins. Delaware was very, you know, lackluster when it came to getting wins. Um, This year, every team at least has four wins or higher. Your thought process, what's your thoughts on the the parity right now in the league? Well, it it definitely helps the league on the whole. not only from an appearance standpoint, but also uh, in the end, it's going to be a financial boon because uh, more fan bases are going to want to come see your team. They know that their team is not going to be losing 50 games this year. You know, there's a ch- there's a chance. So yeah, want to go see them. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, last year we 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 saw Delaware and Elmira really struggle. Uh, this year, Elmira, um, even though they're last in the Empire Division, they have four wins. And honestly, they you know even when they do lose games, it doesn't like appear like they're one hundred percent out of it. I think Tyler George has a very tough road uh, to get this team potentially into the playoffs and everything. Um, I think Watertown might be a better team ahead of them. And we know Danbury will get it around. Billy McCurry will find a way to get that um, that going and everything. But they're still going to probably end up with like 10, 11, maybe 12 wins at the end of the season, which is much better than what Delaware and Elmira did last year. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and the ownership has something to do with that, mm-hmm. too. Um, I, I don't want to... Uh, you know, throw anybody under the bus, but you know things were not handled very well in a couple markets sure. last year, and uh, there's there's definitely been an improvement in that area. Yeah, the other new teams this year are obviously Baton Rouge and Withville. Um, both of those teams have either four wins. Um, well, they actually they, they both have four wins as well. You follow obviously the Continental Division, maybe just a little bit more than I did. I concentrated a little bit on Carolina last week. Uh, with having Brendan Riley on the uh, broadcast and everything. But, you know, Whitville and Baton Rouge, are these two teams that you could see, you know, picking up some steam and giving, you know, maybe Mississippi and Port Huron a run for their money? Um, Okay, here's my bold prediction. Um, (laughs) I think Baton Rouge can seriously challenge Mississippi for the fourth spot, uh, or Mississippi or Port Huron. Um, Blue Ridge uh, I, I'm waiting to see how things shake out mm-hmm. after they did the uh, the major overhaul last week. Um, that that still kind of appeared a little bit odd to me as far as you know getting rid of the assistant coach, getting rid of the captain, right. um, wholesale changes. Uh, so I'd like to see some stability there, uh, but uh, I, I think if they can kind of you know, get to themselves together. And moving forward, you know, perhaps they can make some noise too. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up before we get into the serious chat and everything, which I think you and I will still be very friendly and it'll be a good chat and everything, even though it's about a very serious matter, is attendance this year. I think the attendance, I was really impressed when I look back. I think it was uh, somebody either on the bench minor hockey or one of the other uh, groups that we all attend and are a part of and everything. Someone mentioned at one point that there were eight teams with a thousand average or higher in attendance and and it's pretty impressive especially from where this league came from and i know you did a really 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 good fed league flash um i think it was during the summertime talking about the attendance and how it changed from the first couple years of this league and you actually chronicled all the way through each year to me, it's really impressive that this year, right now, we've already got 188,000 fans through the turnstiles to see FBHL hockey. And the potential, if you take that average and you, and you times it out by the 308s, you're looking at almost 700,000 fans that could come see an FBHL game this year. That's if everybody averages the, what they are right now for the rest of the season. And that's almost 150,000 more than last year. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we cleared, uh, what was it, like 620,000 or some, something to that effect last year. And, uh, I mean, by far that was you know, miles above anything that the league had seen before. But now a lot of that, too, I feel, is that the league is getting into more profitable markets, mm-hmm. like the Baton Rouges. Uh, yeah. Like when Binghamton joined, I mean, that was a boon for the league. Um, you, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's very difficult to maintain things in a smaller market like Watertown, per se. Yeah. Uh, I know that Tyler Weiss is doing what he can up there to, uh, to bring in the fans and everything like that, but when you have a limitation on, uh, on an arena's capacity, you know, that kind of holds things back a little bit. However, um, it, it is good to see that, uh, you know, most markets are seeing a steady... Uh, income of 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 customers coming through. Yeah, I think there's a couple. Um, unfortunately, there's a couple markets I'd like to see do a little bit better. Elmira and Motor City are two of them. I think it's tough when you're in Fraser because of the you know the market that you're in, Detroit. It's hard to probably sell an FBHL ticket, though it's probably less expensive. And if you want maybe a kid or a family to be able to go to hockey on the cheap, it's probably the best place to go in that area and everything because Detroit Red Wing tickets are going to cost you an arm and a leg, um, especially for a family of four, right? And you could go to Frazier and you go to Frazier and do that. Elmira just needs to do a little bit better. There's always been this weird love affair with Elmira and the lower leagues in hockey since 2001 when they built the first arena and started putting hockey in there and everything. Yet, but it never has seemed to work yet. Why is that? What do you think it is that has hampered Elmira from working? Because there's some great fans out there. You and I know some great fans in Elmira that go to games and they're very passionate about any team. I mean, we might as well just call them Myra fans because it changes from time to time and everything. But what do you think it is that hampers Elmira so much? Um, well, I, with, with some of the things, I want to be very careful about what I say. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, but uh, just touching on it very, very lightly, 
um, the fact that you have two different entities, one being Don Kiernan in the league owning mm. the team mm-hmm. and the CCIDA owning the arena, that hurts. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to get into the whole uh, the whole inner workings of things, but uh, that obviously hurts. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that plays into people's perceptions. Uh, the people in Elmira that I talk to, and I do talk to quite a few of them pretty frequently, um, you know, so many of them have an attitude that, well, you know, okay, we had the enforcers. Mm-hmm. The rug was pulled out from under us. We had the mammoth. The rug was pulled out from, uh, from under us again. What's going to happen? Are these guys going to even be around next year? It's kind of like, uh, you know, we've gotten burned before. We don't want to get burned again. And so they're very reluctant to uh, really delve in and support the team. Um, which, which is unfortunate because uh, I, I mean it's a nice arena. It's a it's a it's a beautiful facility. Yeah. Um, you know they they've had hockey you know pretty much consistently for over twenty years. Um, you know people love hockey. I mean you you talk. My goodness, Elmira College. Uh, that's a rabid fan base. Yeah, it is. But when you look at the professional ranks. Because of some of the things that have gone on in the past, people seem very, very hesitant mm. to want to invest, not just financially, but also their time uh, into supporting the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's a big hindrance at this point. Now, uh, before we move on, the Binghamton, Columbus, and Baton Rouge all are 3,500 or higher right now. I think you need to be just a tiny bit better than that to potentially get to 100,000 fans. How big it would it be for this league to be to have three cities hit 100,000 fans and higher? Oh, that would be so huge. Now, Columbus just missed last year. Yes. I believe they ended up with 98-something. And that's the pace that Baton Rouge is on right now. Yeah, uh, I, f- I figured I was like ninety-eight two, um, and, mm. and I mean that's fantastic for a first-year team. Um, I've been sending uh, fans their messages. It's like, come on, invite a friend. You know, get 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 yourselves to a hundred thousand. You can do it. Uh, but yeah, that would be just tremendous. Uh, just from uh, a perspective point of view, uh, from the outsiders, you know, people who aren't involved in the FPHL, you know, looking down, they're going to be looking at this like, hey, you know, these guys are doing something right. They're, you know, they're drawing 100,000 fans in three different cities. That's great. It is. You know, so, you know, let's, let's, let's see what they do next. Um, so I'm hoping that happens. I really do. All right, so Gary, let's talk a little bit about dirty hits, deterrence, and suspensions, um, and maybe you know retaliation because I think that's a big part of it. First, let's 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 bring up the hockey guy, right? Because you you sent me the video. I haven't watched much of the hockey guy, and what's funny is is I watched the video and then I was like, oh, I know this guy and everything because he's been around for a long time, and I've probably yeah. seen a thing or two that he's done, and uh, I'm sure he's been on a message board. I know he's been on a message board that I've been on before. But either way, uh, you sent me a video, and it's a really good video. And it's so funny that he, he produced his video about four or five days ago. And it's it really, you know, you and I thought, well, we really need to talk about this, right? And all of a sudden, boom, 
three days beforehand, and I didn't know. And, and, and I brought this up to you. I, I came to Gary. I want everyone to know. I came to Gary and said, Gary, I, we need to talk about this. Gary probably had watched the video with the hockey guy and probably was like, Jesus, wow, this is crazy that Bob's bringing this up and everything. But I thought it was something that needed to be talked about. We had, obviously, um, uh, you know, a few hits here in the um, the FPHL that, that came up and everything. So um, he, he sent me this video. It's a really great video, and it, it really talks about what, what can deter these hits. What really can deter these hits? You know, is it, is it an enforcer, right? Because we all thought, oh, if there's an enforcer on each, uh, you know, each team, you know, that the, the, the big hits, the dirty hits won't happen, or you'll have this big bout and everything, and everybody will be like, rah, 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 fights and everything. And that really doesn't deter it. And that's what the hockey guy kind of said. But he didn't really have an answer or a solution. He left it up to the fans to determine what was, what's the answer. What is the answer? And it's a great video. And I hope people watch it. I hope you seek them out and watch it. Because, you know, other than the conversation that we're about to have here, I think it's a really great topic that he brought up. And what I really liked the most, Gary, is that he didn't, try to force his answer on somebody and and i want right. you to talk about this for a second real quick and everything one of the things that frustrates me the most about fans is, is especially today's fans versus maybe 30 or 40 years ago the today's fan is if you don't like it go watch cricket and i've heard that way too much and it's just like you know what i may not like something but it doesn't mean i don't like 98% of the sport, right? Because right. I do love 98% of the sport, and 2% of the sport I don't like are elitists, fans, and <laughs> dirty hits. I just don't like them. So right. what are your thoughts on you know, the, 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 the fan that is out there saying, well, if you don't like this, this kind of hockey, go watch cricket? <laughs> You know, uh, it's it, you, I, I, you, Bob. And I, you, you and I talked a little bit about this uh, be, beforehand, uh, messaging back and forth. And uh, one of the things that we talked about is the fact that the game has changed. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not you uh, we're not going around without helmets anymore. We're not going around without visors. You know, we we switched to. Uh, lighter, more flexible sticks rather than old wood sticks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, the game has evolved. Unfortunately, a lot of fans are not willing to evolve with it. It's crazy. Uh, we're, We're so quick to say, oh, I remember back in the day when Marty McSorley, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and that's just not the way that the game is played anymore. And I'm not just talking about in the NHL or mm-hmm. here in the States. It's across the globe. Yeah. It, it, the game is different. It's changed so much. You know, the last interview I did at the end of my AHL days was with Bobby Robbins. And I'm telling mm-hmm. you, fans, if you haven't listened to this interview, you need to. Bobby Robbins wanted a plane to crash as he was going to see Sidney Crosby's head doctor because after having three straight concussions while playing for the Boston Bruins, getting into three fights, and basically knowing that his brain was scrambled. 
His brain was scrambled. And the game has changed in the sense that there's a reason why the Bobby Robbins don't play hockey no more. It's because, A, they don't skate well, number one. And you can't have that kind of a person on an NHL team or an NHL team anymore, right? So you, you, you just can't have that guy that's just designed to fight, right? And that's what Bobby Robbins was. He was a big hit guy and a fighter. And if you haven't listened yeah. to the game, the game screwed up his brain. It took a long time for him to get healthy. It affected the way I thought about the game. What was I? I love. I listen. I like a good fight. I, I, I'll be honest. I still do. I, and I. I even don't mind a line brawl. I mean, Jesus Christ, drop the gloves <laughs> and everything. Um, but what I what I don't want are guys to be just obliterated, right? And yeah. whether it's in a yeah. fight and a guy's turtling, but a guy's you know hitting somebody. I mean, let's just take a look at Gavin Yates. And listen, I, one of the things I'm not going to do, and I'm not, I'm not going to bash anybody's character or who they are or whatever, but Gavin Yates just got suspended two games for an incident against the Carolina Thunderbirds. And it's because the, the Panacek was laying on the ice face down. The uh, linesman was laying on top of him. Not really sure what was going on in that part of it. But you see Gavin Yates circling around this pile of bodies trying to hit him. And you just can't have that in the game anymore. And Gavin Yates knows that. This is not the kind of player that he is. He was frustrated. This game was a horrible train wreck for the Binghamton Black Bears. And it, it, it was, you know, so that kind of stuff just isn't in the game anymore. And the right. the suspension fit that, and so on and so forth. So it, you just you just can't do that no more. And like you said, the game is faster, the players are stronger, and there's these incidents. Now, Gary, talk a little bit about the recent instances and why we're bringing this up. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I really started getting concerned uh, back in November. Uh, for some reason, back in November, we had uh, across the the Fed, we had a rash of spearing incidents. Yeah, there was like three and or four of that, them, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was for about three weeks, and uh, not all of them received suspensions either. Um, should they have? Well, in my opinion, yes, but. Um, we went through that, and then, um, you know, really the only other things that had uh, come up uh, with any kind of disciplinary uh, action or review was a couple of aggressor uh, penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody turtles, and you know, the guy keeps pounding away, and okay, well, you get a suspension. Um, and then the floodgates opened. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, just looking at this last weekend, um, you know, we had uh, the aggressor uh, call uh, with uh, Elias Thompson with the Motor City Rockers. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Josh Rosenvig from uh, Watertown taking a two-handed whack at Blake Peavy's ankles. And he's a goaltender uh, doing that. Yes, exactly. Not good. Um, we, ha- we had the, the, the Gavin Yates uh, incident. We had... Uh, Kara Georges from from Baton Rouge, uh, just pounding repeatedly on Jacob Volt's head uh, for, down down there, and no penalty. Well, I'm sorry, he, he did get a minor penalty and a ten minute misconduct, but that was it. Yeah, um, Volt had to be helped off the ice. Yeah, 
um, and you know didn't play the rest of the game. So I mean, these are you know serious things that are going on, and it, it just seems to have flared up. Um, I, I think really it really started a couple weeks ago when we had the uh, the uh, bench clearing brawl down mm-hmm. in uh, Baton Rouge, and uh, I mean there was. Two suspensions that came from it, one game each. Yep. Uh, and that was it. And most of the players that were involved didn't even receive a, a minor or a major. It was just like, okay, that's out of your systems. We go on. <laughs> uh, Which... There was no, there was nothing done to address what happened. Yeah, yeah, and I want to talk about that in a little bit. How the FPHL has handled uh, things this year compared to previous years and everything. But then there was also the Daniel Ainsbury obviously uh, hit that uh, on uh, on Danny Vanderweel, which we now know has led to a concussion, and he's on the IR. So there's been a lot of these big hits. Um, there's been these kind of crazy fights and line brawls and everything that has kind of gone a little away from where the hockey world has said they want to go, which is good, clean hits and fast hockey, high scoring if possible, even though I still like a one nothing game every once in a while, which we don't mm-hmm. see in any of the leagues really much anymore, and, right. and so on and so forth. And it, it's kind of gone... You know, and, and of course there was the hit this weekend, uh, which which you know led to another player, you know, being injured, right? And people will argue back and forth: Are these legal hits? Are these clean hits? No, this is old school hockey from the seventies and the eighties. And you know, if you don't like it, go watch something else. But it's led to cricket. injuries. <laughs> yeah, go watch cricket. But it's led to injuries, and that's. The problem, and I think that's the reason why we have to have conversations like this, because when yeah. people are starting to get injured and walking off the ice, yeah, it's a tough sport. Yes, people hit hard. And yes, most guys are beaten and bruised all the time. But when yeah. you have instances where fans have to look away or you have to have yeah. players circled around a player, you know, yeah. I mean, we saw Adam Johnson, that issue over in England and everything. Yeah. These type of situations just can't happen everything but gary let's talk about the next topic intent what is intent and what is premeditated actions that's the hard thing and and part of that probably revolves around retaliation right so talk about the hit this weekend because that hit didn't you know according to dave jackson who gave out the four game suspension and everything he didn't believe there was intent involved in that. Can you talk about what the difference is between intent and premeditated? Right. Well, you know, even I would I would dare say um, I'm just using the uh, Rosenvig uh, two-handed sure. whack as an example. I don't think that was premeditated. I think that was just a moment of frustration. Watertown was losing that game very badly, mm-hmm. and uh, and. Uh, uh, PV had just stripped uh, Rosenvig of the puck in a kind of an embarrassing fashion, and so you know, did he, did he plan that? No, I just think he just got frustrated and let his emotions get the better of him in the moment. However, you know, there's other situations that you can tell. Um, there, there's just little telltale signs. Um, 
ju- just to break things down with with the two most you know, horrific incidents sure. that have happened over the last two weeks. With Justin Barr uh, going in to hit Nathan Balkwell, okay, uh, he 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 did come in from about thirty feet out, but he never strode in like he wasn't power skating in yeah. to to level Balkwell. Balkwell had the puck in the corner, and Barr, I, I'm assuming, uh, assumed that he was the uh, the player to cover him, so mm-hmm. he glided in. Um, now, Balkwell apparently kind of twisted his back a little bit, uh, which worsened the impact, but sure. the hit itself was not dirty. Um, it, it was a heavy hit, but, um, you know, Barr didn't hit him up high. Um, it, it was just apparently a lack of judgment in which, you know, from 30 feet out, should he have made the contact? You know, maybe that wasn't necessary. Maybe he could have just come in with a stick to try and poke the stick loose, yeah, or the the puck loose, uh, rather than lay a blow on uh, Balkwell. But it, it, you know, it's pretty evident that there wasn't an intent mm-hmm. to to hurt Balkwell. And you go with the other uh, case, our, our famous uh, Daniel Hainsbury. Yeah. Um, there was definite intent there. I mean, the play started, Vanderweel stripped Amsbury of the puck uh, out at the high slot. Uh, this whole thing took about five seconds to elapse. Yeah. Okay, so Vanderweel uh, turns around, takes the puck down towards the opposite face-off circle, dishes the puck off to Giuliano, Giuliano scores, but um, the whole time, Amesbury's gaze never went off of Vanderweel. Right. I mean, he was obviously pretty ticked off that Vanderweel had stolen the puck from him. Right. And he never he never changed course. He never even considered the way that the play was developing, you know, Giuliano being the open man, yeah, you know, he if he was playing hockey. <laughs> yeah. Um he would have gone and changed his course and gone for you know, trying to uh Stop the, the goal. Puck that's now on Giuliano. Yeah. Stick. Right. But no, he made a beeline with the forearm, you know, right to the back of, of Vanderweel's neck. I mean, there was intent there. And we have seen that from Ames during the past. So, um, and that's unfortunate. That That's, that's kind of stuff that really uh, bothers me. Yeah. And, and, what, and that also leads me to retaliation because we saw that in the NHL just a few days ago with Perron, where he actually, after a big hit, then turns around and retaliates on somebody else. And these are different right. things. These are different actions that are yeah. happening. And it leads us kind of going into, you know, what is the best deterrence for this stuff, right? Because in the yeah. past, I think there was. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But in the past, I always thought if there was an enforcer on the ice, the big hits don't happen, right? Because you know that the enforcer is going to go out there. And this is something that the hockey guy was talking about. And I remember going, yeah, that was me. That was me. I used to think that. I used to think that if there was an enforcer on the ice, if if Brian McGranton was on the ice, nobody from the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins was going to do anything. But the key to that... Well, yeah, Bo Bonvi, yes, exactly. But if Bonvi was on the ice for the B-Sense, nobody would touch him, right? Uh, yeah, unless it was, yeah. um, you know, 
some of the other guys that were big, um, Skurlak, and you know from all, yeah. you know from. But either way, no. So, no, but what he, one of the things that the hockey guy said that was so important here was when he's on the ice. So if you have an enforcer that's you know playing seven minutes a game, which I think Skurlak, Rob Skurlak from the Albany River Rats is a prime example. He played seven mm. minutes at, at most, and three of those right. minutes were usually him on the ice looking for somebody to fight. And right. So, but but when he was on, so the point is is that. If they're on the ice, maybe the big hit's not going to happen because he's going to drop you instantly, right? But right. if he's not on the ice, how is it a deterrence? Because then it turns into retaliation, right? Because yeah. he goes and grabs a guy and then maybe turtles him. I mean, we saw Chris Neal um, uh, it, with, with the Sens back in 0405 when he was here. And I can't remember the guy who was on Wilkes-Barre at the time, but he turtled because he didn't want to fight Chris Neal. Right. Yeah, exactly. He just laid a big hit on one of you know was either Spezza or uh, you know one of the one of the you know the big guys you know one of the to- uh, the top you know guys for Binghamton it might have been for Matt Neil goes over yeah. there and this guy doesn't want to fight him I can't, I wish I could yeah, remember exactly. his name right now um, but either way the, my point is though is that the enforcer really isn't a deterrent if retaliation's not a deterrent. It's actually just leads to this thing. The only thing that really can be a deterrent is the last option, which is the league suspending these guys for this kind of stuff, which people exactly. have a problem with. People watching hockey says, oh, I don't want to see these guys get suspended for a big hit just because somebody gets injured. But it's the only yeah. thing that you have. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the really ironic thing about the, the Perron suspension is that, you know, he hit Zub. Zub wasn't the one that hit Larkin. No, I know. So you yeah, Peron goes after the wrong guy. First of all, that's you know that's a, that's a big problem. But and that was like what three four seconds elapsed after Larkin was lying on the ice yeah. already. Yeah, I mean it's just what what are you accomplishing? Um, you know, I I I know that there's the code. Uh, that yeah. you know, that unspoken, unwritten code that players uh, say that they abide by, but you know, it seems like retaliation has been getting written into that code as of late, and I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you know, it, if you and I were playing hockey and we're battling along the boards for a loose puck, and okay, you cross check me in the back, I don't like that. So I slash you on the wrist. Yeah. Guess which one is going to get called? Oh, the retaliation. The slash. Yeah. You know, and, and so now I'm hurting my team because I'm in the box for two minutes. You know, your, you know, your team is on the power play now, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I haven't helped my team any by by slashing you on the wrist. Yeah. Um, but it just seems like that's the automatic. Process. Yeah, the hockey uh, IQ to that point is not gotten any better over the years. It's like no, ho- hockey no. IQ would tell you, "Oh wait, that's a cross check. Oh, we got we're going to go man up. All right, buddy. Hey, yeah. dumb on you yeah. to do that to me, right?" But instead, people are retaliating exactly. and everything. Exactly. Uh, do you think suspensions exactly. are the only deterrent to this? I think it. I think it is, and the reason why, I, I think this is part of how the game has evolved. And again, uh, I'm talking about globally. 
um, you know, the, the move, once everyone understood how severe uh, concussions were, mm-hmm. uh, immediately the move uh, came and the cry went out, you know, we've got to get rid of the goons, we've got to get rid of the enforcer. Um, and so when that happened, as the goons have gotten uh, phased out, well, somebody's got to fill in the vacuum. Yeah. You can't leave a vacuum there. So it becomes incumbent on whatever league is operating in a game uh, to handle disciplinary matters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it's kind of it, this is kind of the default that's been set. Um, and is it a perfect system? Of course not. But it's the best thing that we have right now. Right. And one of the things I think going forward, you know, because we know the game has changed. The forces are gone from the game. The players are faster. They're more skilled. They're stronger. All that, right? But what what it really comes down to is, has the FPHL, 14th year I think it is now, uh, Mm -hmm. they went from the FHL to the FPHL. I don't know if they handled that part well because there was an incident and everything. You've brought that up in the past and everything. But our... With the addition of Dave Jackson this year, kind of reviewing and implementing the suspensions and the disciplinary actions, and they're explaining it better now to the fans, is this better? Is this year, with what the information that we're getting from the league, better? Maybe not as consistent as we want it to be yet, but is it better? I think it's better. I think it's a step in the right direction because not only does it send a message to the fans to help explain, well, this is why we came to this decision, but it sends a message to the players. Um, uh, Obviously, when an incident happens that is going to potentially be reviewed by the league, uh, the team is contacted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, hey, just want to let you know, we're looking at such and such an incident, so you may end up being without said player for a period of time. Right. Um, which I think that is also good, too, because yeah. when, when that direct contact is made, then uh, whoever takes that call, whether it's the owner or the coach or the GM or whoever, they can communicate to the team, hey, look, what happened the league doesn't like what happened here. Yeah. We've got to be more disciplined with this. We've got to you know, maintain our composure better on the ice. Mm-hmm. It brings us to the conversation about respect on the ice in the conversation that needs to be had, not by you and me. This conversation is good, and I wanted to have it, and I wanted to be able to have this conversation with you, somebody who I respect and think knows a lot about hockey and everything. But the respect on the ice needs to be – a conversation that's had by head coaches, coaches, and players, and most importantly, the players. The players need to have this conversation, right? They need to be like, "Mm, that's not good. I don't like how you did this or how you did that. And we need to talk talk amongst the players and everything. That's where the conversation really needs to be had, and it needs to be brought up by general managers and by head coaches. They need to have these conversations with the teams and go, this is not okay. I, I, one, yeah. of the, one of the reasons why I say that, uh, 
is a comment that you made. I didn't watch the Daniel Amesbury uh, situation live. Um, I, I know that you, you pay attention to a lot of the games. One of the comments that you made about the Daniel Amesbury situation is that none of the players went over to him when he skated off the ice and tapped him on the butt or the, the skates. You know, A lot of times when a guy gets kicked out, there's some sort of stick tap or something that, yeah. that is involved in that. that. This didn't happen there with that. And I, I want to I say something right now that's very important. Everybody knows my thoughts on Daniel Amesbury. He shouldn't be playing in this, uh, the, this league at all and everything. Uh, that, I, I, again, I don't want to bash anybody, but I want to say this, is that there are a lot of players on the Dean Barry hat tricks that I respect, that I like. I actually like Coach McCurry and the way he you know, uh, coaches a physical, gritty, feisty kind of game and mixes that in with scoring. I like all that, and I'm good with that. And I, even Dustin Gesso, who was a very feisty player on the ice last year, coming into Binghamton, I could see why and how he plays the game, and I'm okay with that and everything. But it, it's really telling, and they need to have that conversation in that locker room, that that's not okay. Listen, the organization, the ownership, you know, the promoters, the people who talk about it, they, they can say all they want. But it's Billy McCurry's team that has to have that conversation, right? Yeah. Does anybody really need yeah. to have that conversation with Justin Barr other than, dude, make a better decision there, right? We know you didn't intend to hurt him, but because of the decision that you made hurt him, you have to think about it next time. How you come yeah. in, how you react in that 30-feet glide into the player about how you can protect him, not hurt him. Right. You can't right. have well, that mindset. And, 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 and one thing that I was very glad to see was that an hour after the incident, mm-hmm. uh, Justin Barr uh, came out with a statement and yeah. said, you know, I did not want to hurt uh, Balkwell. I This was not an intentional thing. I know better. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, I, I think he, be, I, if I can remember correctly, uh, he literally said i i'm better than this yeah um which so is why your first indication yeah. which all right great he's taken accountability for his actions yes. right from the get-go um I, I think that is is something we need to see from everyone that yeah. participates in the game yeah and, and what's very important here is, is that that's the reason why his four-game suspension will actually have impact on the way he plays the game. And that's what people have to realize. Some people will say, oh, he shouldn't have been suspended. And, and you know, some people even said, oh, Daniel Innsbury shouldn't be suspended because it, they don't feel it was a dirty hit. But when Dave Jackson comes out and says, this is a dirty hit and this is not a dirty hit, and one guy is very remorseful about it. And I don't know if Ainsbury is or isn't. And honestly, anything that comes out of Dan Barry's marketing team, I'm not going to really, you know, kind of believe anyways. But when it comes to Justin Barr, his reaction, that four-game suspension is going to matter. That's why I think the FPHL has done better this year already when it comes to suspensions, explaining the suspensions and whatnot. And yeah. I, I think realistically, the best deterrence of these type of things is going to happen is the disciplinary action by the league and the conversation that players need to have with each other. Yeah, and, and that conversation needs to start with 
all urgency at the youth hockey level. Yes. Um, there, there are an increasing amount of uh, YouTube videos that come out every day of uh, either a, a player just goes ballistic or a coach goes ballistic or you know, a, a situation just devolves very badly and very quickly. Yeah. Uh, from the youngest level on up to the pros. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think this is something that needs to be hammered on uh, by uh, coaches yeah. and uh, teachers. Uh, just like, look, you can't do this. You've got to understand, you know, you're, you're seven years old, but you've got to understand huh. you could badly hurt somebody. You know, you've got to be careful. It, it, you really do. You really do. Gary, thank you very much for this conversation. It is the Fed League Flash. I think there are daily updates either on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook Live, pretty much every day. I don't think he takes a day off, and uh, that that's because uh, you know the hockey guy is basically his uh, you know what he bottles after, and that's okay, and that's good. Um, but it's out there. The Fed League Flash seven days a week on those three uh, platforms. Gary, thank you very much for coming on and talking about this. Thank you. Thank you. I, I hope we can uh, have uh, maybe a little more uh, pleasant and lighthearted discussion uh, in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we will. We will. We'll, I'll definitely have you back on again. He is Gary Ryan from the Fed League Flash, and we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. you're a Binghamton hockey fan, then you need to check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your news, stats, information, the Binghamton Hockey Hall of Fame, top 10 lists, profiles, and so much more. That's BinghamtonHockey.net. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening this week. Let's get through the must-reads uh, really quick so we can get out of here. The Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just listen, just search for Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcast and subscribe. Please join the Facebook group, Power Play Post Show. Just go to Facebook, search for Power Play Post Show. And share with all of your friends. Check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton hockey information and curiosities. And thank you to Rob Lopolis, our MC, John Petitucci, our musical director, and our guests this week, Binghamton Black Bears forward, Andrew Logar, and of course, the Fed League Flashes, Gary Ryan. You can hear Gary and see Gary on all of the social media channels like YouTube, Spotify, and Facebook Live. Thank you very much for listening. Go check out Casey Gorman's table at Saturday's game and bid on those paintings that she painted. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week right here on the Power Play Post Show.
Thanks for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week to the Box Studios Radio Network for all the latest Black Bears news and interviews from around minor league hockey. The Power Play Post Show would like to thank John Patitucci for all the music you hear on the show. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.